Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. Today is episode one of a two-part podcast special. We're going to be discussing the economics of PLAs and prevailing wage laws. We are joined by renowned economists Dr. Peter Phillips and Dr. Kevin Duncan. Dr. Phillips is a labor economist and professor at the University of Utah, and Dr. Kevin Duncan is an economist and professor out of Colorado State. Both have been instrumental into developing research on PLAs and prevailing wage laws. With over 90 publications and countless research projects between them, please welcome our guests, award-winning economists, Peter Phillips and Kevin Duncan. So I'm going to, you know, own this quite up front. Well, first, let me say, I like to start with kind of a ridiculous question, just something to get us all talking. And to each of you, what is the, um, what is the last song that got stuck in your head? Like couldn't break free of it, found like humming it throughout the day. People noticing. What was that last song that got caught in your head? Boy, I am not going to mention it because it'll do it to me again. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. How about you, Professor Duncan? It's been about the last month. It is, I've never been to Spain. Three Dog Night originally recorded it, but Elvis performed it, and it's he did it with a big band. And once you hear that, it'll stick in your head for a while. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Peter, I'm sure you could put one in uh, earlier than that. <laughs> no, I uh, my the worst one that I had is that I had America going a uh, horse with no name stuck in my head for I'm not exaggerating probably the better part of a year. Like it just wouldn't wouldn't go away. Uh, it's not a bad song to have stuck in your head for the record. It's just yeah. Okay, so. Let's get to it. If you'd both just give me a second, kind of tell me a little bit about, you know, you're both professors of economics in, it's a, tell me a little bit about your backgrounds and your fields of research, just so that we kind of, everyone listening can get a feeling for what we're talking about and, and where your basis and backgrounds are. Well, I'm an economics professor at Colorado State University. I've been, I was a graduate student at the University of Utah. Oh, how 40 years ago, I was a student of Peter Phillips. And uh, about 20 years ago, I started studying the economics of prevailing wage laws, and that's really been my passion since then. I find it a very interesting field to examine, and it is certainly a, has a policy orientation. My research matters. People read it, which is unique in academia. Kevin is being inordinately modest. He is also the first distinguished university professor at uh, Colorado State University Pueblo. Uh, and while I'm not sure whether he takes pride in that, as my <laughs> former student, I take deep pride in his accomplishments. Well, thank you for the kind words. No, that that is truly incredible. And so how about you, Professor Phillips? What is what I mean, obviously economics, but what are your you know key areas of research? Back in the 1980s, I had a, a student who was the business manager for the operating engineers here in Salt Lake. And uh, six or seven years before that, the Utah legislature had repealed its state prevailing wage law that was on the book since 1931. And uh, in, in this 
student in my uh, labor law and collective bargaining class asked me whether the repeal of uh, this state's prevailing wage law uh, accounted for the difficulty construction workers were having finding work and uh, that his union was having uh, staying organized. And uh, frankly, I said, I don't know. And uh, so he suggested, and I agreed, that we put together a study group, uh, which was a, a, a business manager from the Teamsters, an administrative assistant for uh, the United Association of Plumbers and Pipefitters, this guy from the Operating Engineers, and myself. And we started studying Utah's construction economy in relationship to uh, the repeal of the state prevailing wage law. And uh, I thought that would be maybe a six-month project, and it ended up being uh, what I've been doing ever since, looking at the construction industry in its various aspects. I now look at issues of labor shortages, issues of uh, workplace safety, uh, project labor agreements, prevailing wage laws, bidding on uh, construction projects, kind of uh, the whole gamut of construction issues as they uh, relate to the construction labor market. Well, that's actually a kind of a perfect cue up for, for what I was going to. My, my kind of first question is, like, do you see prevailing wage laws affecting labor and how is it going to affect employees in the construction industry? And that I know it's a super broad question, but let's start there. When you say affect labor, you can think about uh, construction construction workers on the project uh, and you can uh, think about construction workers as they navigate their way in their family lives. So it's both a workplace issue and a pocketbook issue. And work that Kevin has done uh, and work that I have done and work that others have done is pretty clearly shown that in states with state prevailing wage laws, uh, wages across the board in construction tend to be higher. Now, there's a chicken and egg problem with that result because it's also true that states with higher wages uh, tend to be more organized, uh, and as a consequence, they're more likely to have uh, state prevailing wage laws. So there's uh, some issues around which is cause and which is effect, or whether it's one hand washing the other. But there's a strong correlation between the presence of prevailing wage laws and higher wages in the absence of prevailing wage laws with lower wages. So that's that's one major takeaway. Uh, another takeaway that uh, based on work that uh, I've done in the past and work that along with others, including Kevin, we're doing now is, is that there's a relationship between the presence of prevailing wage laws and uh, fewer injuries in construction. That uh, was measured in previous work uh, looking at injuries from the perspective of what's the percent of construction workers in a state that are partially or fully disabled. And the presumption is that much of that disability came from workplace injuries. Uh, currently, uh, we're doing work that directly measures uh, workplace injuries uh, and the presence or absence of uh, prevailing wage laws. The connection there is that prevailing wage laws indirectly promote apprenticeship training and, and they indirectly promote apprenticeship training uh, because uh, 
of two things. In some states, uh, the prevailing wage uh, proclamation includes a apprenticeship contribution. Uh, and that's the case of California. In other states, that's not so, but nonetheless, it promotes organized construction or union construction. And with the exception of electricians, most apprenticeship training is done through unions. In the case of the electrical industry, about half of the apprentices are, uh, are in non-union apprenticeship programs. But in the rest of the industry, that's not the case. So, yes, uh, prevailing wage laws uh, affect the well-being of construction workers and their family, both through remuneration and through workplace safety. So to make sure I understood that correctly, you're saying so where there is prevailing wage, there's a higher proponent of apprenticeships. Where there are higher apprenticeships, there are better workers and therefore less injuries. So there's a semi- a somewhat, sorry, there's a, a noted correlation between just prevailing wage and safer workplaces? Yes. And in, 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 in here, the, the line of causation uh, is not so ambiguous as in the case of remuneration. Um, the line of causation here is that if you know what you're doing on the work site, you're less likely to get hurt. And there are two avenues for knowing what you're doing on the work site. The first is experience, and the second is training. But in addition to that, we, we also see that in areas where essentially construction practices are dominated by low-wage strategies to uh, get the job done profitably, you can end up with workers who do not have experience in the construction industry and uh, get hurt because they don't know what they're doing. When I was a teenager, uh, my father, who worked for the Pomona Water Department in California, took one look at me and decided I was really not going to go anywhere in life unless I learned how to earn a living. And so he got a job for me working uh, for a pipeline company. And my job in that pipeline company was to, I was called a spotter, and they would be laying pipe, and the, the uh, foreman would have a a uh, map suggesting where there might be other underground uh, pipes uh, in the way of the pipe that they were laying. And he would say, here, I want you to dig a six foot by six foot by four foot deep ditch and see if you can find a pipe down there that we might end up breaking. And so being a teenager and, and being energetic but dumb, I would just start throwing dirt left, right, and center. And little did I know that when I was digging that hole, I could very well have been digging my grave. Uh, I did not know, and the uh, uh, foreman did not tell me that if you're in a ditch that's four feet deep and you bend over and there is a cave in, uh, you're probably going to be buried there long uh, for a time that's longer than they'll have an opportunity to pull you out. In, in the in the summertime. Now, uh, I'm a backcountry ranger in the Grand Teton National Park, and that's right by Jackson Hole. And somebody was walking along the pedestrian path in Jackson Hole two years ago and noticed there was a backhoe that was running and no one was attending to it. And when that pedestrian came back the other way, the backhoe was still running with nobody attending to it. 
And it turned out that the operator of that backhoe had gone into the ditch that he was digging and it had caved in on him and he was buried and dead at the bottom of that ditch. Now, OSHA has rules that says you can't dig a ditch without shoring it or sloping it so you don't get those cave-ins. But in the absence of experienced workers who know that and the absence of unions that enforce that, you get more injuries. So prevailing wage laws uh, make workplace safer because it helps workers stay in the industry long enough to get that experience and it helps work uh, unions organize more workplaces so that there are certain protections to make sure regulations are followed. That is an incredible, I, great, I, I like that, that just insight, the way you phrased that. That is, that's really, that's really cool. So, Professor Duncan, you know, kind of weigh in about a prevailing wage and just how it's affecting the industry, how it's affecting our, the work life. Well, getting back to pocketbook issues, research I've done different states and groups of states indicates that with prevailing wage laws, construction workers are less dependent on public forms of assistance, less dependent. They participate less in SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and they're more likely to receive health and retirement benefits. So that that helps construction workers uh, if they're earning prevailing wages or if they're in a state that offers prevailing wages. And then prevailing wage laws don't just help construction workers. They, they provide a benefit to a community where the work is being done. There's emerging research, more and more of it, showing that by protecting local wage rates, prevailing wage laws protect work for local contractors. So more of the jobs, incomes, and spending associated with that job stay in the area. So that spending stimulates local service industry, local retail. So businesses that aren't even related to construction benefit from prevailing wage laws by keeping more of that money in the local economy. So it kind of sounds like the cost of survival is the cost of survival. So if you don't make it from your job, you're going to have to find it from the state or some other resource. So prevailing wages are going to help support not just the uh, the industry, but but just that, like you said, that local state and community economy. That's right, yeah. One of the things about using the phrase prevailing wages uh, and prevailing wage regulation is it doesn't emphasize that prevailing wage regulations also mandate the payment of benefit in most states. And those voluntary benefits include health insurance. And so uh, now construction workers on average over to the booms and busts of the construction business cycle account for about 5% of all workers in a local area. And uh, Jeff Waddups, who's the chair of the economics department down at uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, has shown that uh, the county hospital in Cook County, where Las Vegas is uh, located, has a disproportionate share of patients that can't pay their bills and are uninsured who come from the construction industry, where you would expect maybe 5% of all patients who are uninsured would be from the construction industry, because that's kind of the size of the construction industry. He was finding 10 to 15% of those who couldn't pay their hospital bills because they were uninsured came from construction. Now, public works in construction 
is about one fifth of all construction workers. And those workers in Las Vegas get health insurance if they're working on public projects because of the prevailing wage law. So they're not part of the burden on the county hospital uh, from uninsured workers. So there's an element both where uh, preventing wages help the construction worker because it in gets that construction health insurance, but it also helps the county because it means that the industry itself is going to pay for the health problems of its workers rather than putting that on the tax burden for the entirety of Cook County in Nevada. That is, that's really just, I mean, it, they, it, it's a bigger and deeper issue than at least I had kind of fully understood. So, Professor Duncan, I know that you have worked a lot with, uh, give me the, the third grade answer. You know, I know it's like trying to explain the tax code, but like what, explain prevailing wage from a top level perspective. You mean the basics of it has to do with waste? What does it mean to pay, have a prevailing wage law? What would be the, just the, the top line description of that? Well, it's a wage floor. It's a wage and benefit floor for construction workers employed on a public project within the jurisdiction where the law applies. And that prevailing wage rate, as the name implies, is designed to be the most common wage in that area. There are different ways of survey methods either performed by the U.S. Department of Labor or agencies within a state that will survey employing different methods to find out what is the rate that prevails in an area. And then that prevailing rate will, it's not just like the minimum wage that's uniform across a state, across all occupations. That prevailing rate will be specific to a location, typically it's a county, and to particular jobs. The prevailing weight for an electrician will be different than it is for a plumber, and it will be different for tasks with that are performed within the electrician category. So it's very job specific. But as I mentioned before, the purpose of this is to protect local wage rates. The main motivation for prevailing wage laws, including Davis-Bacon Act, is to prevent a problem associated with federal federal construction, federally funded construction, large projects in an area, attracting contractors from areas where wages are lower. So what can happen if there's a big project, a lot of contractors want to be involved with that. It it can draw contractors from other areas. They come in, they have lower wages. That can compel local contractors to also reduce their wage rates. So the idea is with this wage floor, it Everyone competes on a level wage playing field, so you don't have to degrade local labor standards to win the bid. No, that makes a lot of sense. It seems that would probably have a lot of impact in just productivity as well as diversity and other things of of being able to bring in the local, rather than bringing the same crew all around the country, you're going to have a lot of better diversity. And can you talk to that a little bit? Well, that's a good point in that, in a sense, the local contractors are going to have an advantage over outside contractors because they have the skills that align with the wage rates to do that work. So we would think that the composition of the local labor force would have an advantage over contractors from outside the area. So in a sense, it would protect 
the jobs for those workers and protect the composition of the labor force in that area. Now, this kind of touches on the idea that prevailing wage laws are racially discriminatory or motivated by uh, by racism. And there's that gets a lot of attention in the media. But the research on this, the highest quality research on this shows that prevailing wage laws are not discriminatory. They don't exclude underrepresented groups. I definitely agree. I would, there's always there's always someone who wants to make kind of every concept controversial uh, when there can be. But no, it seems that prevailing wage would be the best for a community and not necessarily be, as you said, not discriminatory, as, as the research shows. It shows that it is not. Thank you for joining us for with part one of this amazing conversation. Join us next week as we finish our discussion, as we jump from prevailing wage law research into the nuts and bolts of PLAs. In the meantime, check out our previous episodes of the Construction User 2.0 on the Talk website. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 